Mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Mayor Christina Mern talks about her goals heading into a new term in office, the discussion surrounding community diversity, and the announcement of new Findlay Municipal water rates. Also this morning, one in five adults has no retirement savings, and two-thirds are worried they will outlive the savings they do have. AARP and the Ad Council have launched a new initiative to get people thinking about their retirement years. We'll explain. And recognizing the dedicated volunteers that keep Hancock County's 4-H program going strong, and they're gearing up for a new year of fun and learning, OSU Extension educator Lauren Berner-Kitzler will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, November 13th, 2023. A lot of big news over the weekend. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott suspended his presidential campaign. Um, I don't know if you had noticed that he was running for president, but (laughs) he he said uh, on Fox News Sunday, uh, he loves America more than he did when he started running. But he said when he returns to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate. So if he's... I mean, he's not from Iowa. He's from South Carolina. So why he would go back to Iowa, I don't know. He didn't say if he returns to Iowa. He said when he returns to Iowa will not be as a presidential candidate. So I don't know if he's uh, planning on vacationing there or me thinks that he has something else up his sleeve. Probably campaigning, stumping for someone else or jockeying for the vice presidential nomination. I don't know. When he returns to Iowa will not be as a presidential candidate. Also, this was other big news, and I saw this on the uh, Newswire. Uh, this actually was a big surprise to me. Scientists in Texas say they have discovered a new species of dinosaur. Uh, not a new dinosaur, necessarily. There are no new dinosaurs out there, but this is a previously undocumented species of dinosaur. A uh, small fossil was discovered in 2020, and more bones were unearthed near Lake Grapevine this past week. Scientists confirmed it was an entirely new species of dinosaur. Um, I don't know what they're calling it. They said it's about six foot long and only weighed between 20 and 60 pounds, which is extremely small by dinosaur standards so i guess i can see i mean it was just a shock to me how how do you find a dinosaur you didn't know existed i thought we knew all there was to know about dinosaurs but apparently apparently we don't um but given the small size i can understand how it could be missed this is a very small dinosaur um but the big news the real big news over the weekend was the National Toy Hall of Fame has announced its newest inductees. Have you heard? Well, if not, allow me to be the first. The new inductees to the National Toy Hall of Fame this year, Cabbage Patch Kids, which is kind of a shoe-in, Cabbage Patch Kids one, Baseball Cards, Nerf, and... The Fisher-Price Corn Popper finally makes it in. Now, you remember we announced the nominees uh, several weeks ago, and then a couple of weeks back we had the story that one forgotten finalist would would be guaranteed to make it in. They 
put out a list of, I think it was five toys that have have been nominated multiple times in the past and have, for one reason or another, never made it, never made it to the final cut, never uh, gotten enough votes to actually be inducted. They call them the Forgotten Five, and they put up a fan vote and said one of them, the one that got the garnered the most votes from fans, was guaranteed to get in, and it was the Fisher-Price Corn Popper. So finally, some justice for the Fisher-Price Corn Popper. So those are your new uh, inductees into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Baseball cards. thought that was kind of interesting. Which, I don't know, do we call that a toy? I don't know, I think that is stretching the definition of a toy, but there you have it. So I want to make sure that you are aware of that big news uh, here this morning. I found this kind of interesting. One of the first things that jumped out at me on the uh, on the newswire uh, this morning. You know how the price of homes has skyrocketed in recent years. I mean, home prices constantly go up. That's what real estate does. It appreciates in value. But really, over the past couple of years, it is it is just exploded. Prices have, uh, and much of the reporting, the 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 story has been how unaffordable it is for more and more people, getting squeezed out of the market, and so on and so forth. This uh, piece here, and it was um, according to data from Builderpad, Builderpad which I guess is, what, a building supply company or something? I don't know. Anyway, um, they took an interesting twist in analyzing this data. Basically, they said how much less of a home would half a million dollars buy you in 2023 versus 2018? So not how much have the prices of homes gone up, but how much has the home shrunk for the same amount of money. For example, Montana homes have lost more than 50% of their square footage due to inflation over the past five years. So the same house or the same money would get you 50% less square footage over the past five years. Interesting way of looking at uh, home price inflation. If you're looking to get the most bang for your buck with a half a million bucks, shop in Maryland. That is the state that has lost the least amount of square footage. Well, let's try that again. Maryland has lost 22% of its square footage. um, But Hawaii has lost the least amount of square footage due to inflation. Hawaii has lost, uh, lost the least. Not the best bargain, though, because everything in Hawaii is much more expensive. Maryland is kind of the most bang for the buck. Only has lost 22% of its square footage in the past five years. $500,000 will get you far less space in New York, Maine, and Tennessee as compared to five years ago. Um, So, yeah, if you... Oh, this is what it says here with Hawaii. In terms of... Okay, let me go back and, and... I, I finally understand now Now as I'm reading this. Half a million dollars um, will... Uh, the, the least shrinkage has been in Maryland in terms of percentage. 
lost square footage over the course of the past five years for a half a million dollars. So that's the biggest bargain. Um, the biggest ones uh, after Montana, New York, Maine, Tennessee, in terms of actual square footage, not percentages, Hawaii has lost the least amount of raw square footage due to inflation. But that's largely largely because a lot of uh, those homes uh, didn't have a whole lot of square feet to begin with. And uh, so as a percentage, they've lost uh, more than Maryland. But in terms of actual square foot loss, it's less. It's a higher percentage. So you follow all of that? I just thought it was kind of interesting way, uh, interesting way of looking at uh, the whole home price inflation thing. Um, let's see. Um, this is, <laughs> speaking of uh, losing space in your home, can really not afford to lose a whole lot of space in our homes these days because more and more young adults are living with older generations in their family. A new survey of 5,000 Americans finds that 68% of Gen Zers and 20% of Millennials are opting to live with their family instead of flying the nest. About 51 million people in the U.S. live in multi-generational households. So it's more than half of Americans live in multi-generational households. Now, some societies, this is very, very common. Uh, I know a lot of uh, Hispanic and Latina, uh, Latino uh, families, it's very common for multiple generations of the family to uh, live together. But in this country, generally... That has not been the case, but now a majority of, well, I don't want to say a majority, 51 million people in the United States live in multi-generational uh, multi households. It's a significant number. Moreover, young adults do not plan to leave anytime soon. 41% of Gen Zers expect to live with their families for at least another two years. Uh, younger generation says may find it financially beneficial to stay with a family and they may be caring for aging family members. So it's not all just because they're too cheap to fly the nest. There is a uh, uh, another component to that. So interesting. And uh, let's see here. One other item. Uh, the Rockefeller Center tree arrived in New York City on Saturday. So over the weekend, they uh, put the tree up at 30 Rock in New York City. It's an 80-foot-tall Norway spruce was cut down from Vestal, New York, on Wednesday morning, upstate New York, um, and made a the roughly 200-mile journey uh, to Rockefeller Center, Rockefeller Plaza, to be the centerpiece of New York's Christmas season. 12-ton Norway spruce, 80 feet tall, 80 year, years old, uh, 12-ton Norway spruce. Uh, the uh, decorations include five miles worth of LED lights. Five miles worth of lights. It's topped with a 9-foot, 900-pound Swarovski star adorned with 3 million crystals. And I saw uh, an image of the tree being decorated over the weekend. I don't know if you saw this. I have, I've always wondered this, how they decorate the tree because it's huge it's 80 feet tall 
They have real tall ladders. They use a bucket truck. What? How do they string the lights? How do they do? And the answer was really simple. I saw them, uh, saw images of this. They build scaffolding around. They put the tree up, and I'm assuming they use a crane to to hoist the tree into place, and they build a scaffolding around it with platforms like every, what, eight to ten feet it looked like. And so they can decorate it from bottom to top uh, ten feet at a time because they have these different platforms uh, every eight to ten feet all the way up to the top of the tree. So that's how they do it. Really simple. I would have never guessed that. I've always wondered. But anyway, um, and then they disassemble the uh, scaffolding and there you have it uh the uh, tree lighting coming up wednesday november 29th so and will be telecast live as it always is i believe on nbc because they are headquartered there in uh, rockefeller rockefeller center so uh there you go the uh, holiday season has definitely arrived because the uh, rockefeller center christmas tree has arrived in new york Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchak. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today with a high around 60, mostly clear tonight, a low around 30. People line Main Street in Finley for the Veterans Day Parade on Sunday afternoon. The parade made its way north and ended at the Hancock County War Memorial where a ceremony was held. Local veteran Ralph Reynolds spoke at the service and he said when it comes to honoring veterans, he said it doesn't matter what branch of the armed services you served in or whether it was during wartime or peacetime. What matters is these men and women stepped up and put the boots on when they were called and took the oath to defend our America at any cost and perform their duties. That is what a veteran is. Get more of his remarks from the ceremony and see video from the Finley Veterans Day Parade and the story on our website. Governor DeWine spoke publicly for the first time since Ohioans voted to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution. He says since Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was clear to him that a large majority of Ohio's wanted some exceptions to laws restricting abortion. Governor DeWine saying when he talked about the issue of abortion in the campaign against issue one, it was a matter of policy and not politics. And he says that's what he's going to continue to do. Now, there's already some movement at the state house. Ohio Democrats introduced the Reproductive Care Act. They say it's a measure to remove barriers to reproductive health care here in Ohio. I'm Andrew Kinsey. Water rates will be going up in Finley. The Finley City Council Water and Sewer Committee voted to support the administration's proposal to raise water rates effective January 1st. The city points out that water rates have not increased since 2011, and as water revenues have remained flat, expenses have increased. There's a chart with the story on our website where you can see how much your rate will increase. Time is running out to register for Camp Fun, a free day camp designed for area youth who have been impacted in some way by addiction. The camp will be held on Saturday, November 18th at First Presbyterian Church on South Main Street in Finley. The purpose of the camp is to provide a positive, encouraging, and supportive experience for youth. Get more details in the story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now to our cover story this morning. 
Certainly Mayor Christina Mern has joined us in the studios, fresh off her election victory <laughs> last week. And I know that it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Uh, there was only token opposition, but still, it's always nice to uh, get that vote of confidence. Uh, it so. is. You either run unopposed or afraid. You can't take it for granted, <laughs> but... Uh, we were able to do a little bit lighter of a campaign this yeah. go around, so that was nice. So with that in mind, uh, given that the outcome was not really uh, in doubt, like you said, you don't have to run this real aggressive campaign and talk about you know all of the things for the upcoming term. So let me ask you now that you <laughs> uh, have this victory in your pocket heading into your second full term uh, as mayor, what is the outlook, what are your goals for this coming term? Yeah, they're pretty similar to what we've been focused on the last four years. Um, you know, continuing on flood mitigation, we we are in the home stretch, but need to get that over the finish line and resolved and make the river more of an asset than a liability, which will be great and certainly take the burden of uh, flood insurance off of many properties in the area, which will be great. Additionally, continuing to focus on housing. We know that that is a challenge that has just been exacerbated by COVID and kind of some of the slowdowns that we saw in development over those years and now with inflation rates where they're at and interest rates. Um, we need to continue to help figure out ways to spur development in our area and make sure that we're uh, providing housing options at all price points and all varieties uh, to make sure we're attracting and retraining a, str- a strong workforce. Mm-hmm. Which then obviously is the other one, workforce. Um, So continuing to support our education partners and uh, businesses and how do we really not just retain employees, which is obviously super important, but how are we being represented as a community to potential employees across the country Um, and making sure that we're attracting and retaining the top talent and being able to, to bring folks to Finley, Ohio. So looking at how do we advertise our community, I think is another big one. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just obviously core services, investing on in our infrastructure, making sure we have, you know, clean, safe, quality, high quality water um, and making sure that we're we're continuing to support our law enforcement and safety services and continue to try to deter crime as much as possible. So on those last couple of points, a uh, couple yeah. of things we want to, uh, <laughs> want to talk about. And uh, you talk about uh, growing the community and expanding and people coming into the community. I know last week uh, you went out of your way to... Uh, go on the record uh, with respect to community diversity and uh, yeah. welcoming and and being open to more diversity in the community as the community grows. Why did you feel it was necessary to come out and speak so strongly on that? Subject? Yeah, so that's something, you know, I, I had received messages over the last year or so, phone calls, et cetera, and I would, I would communicate my understanding of the situation and um, which that these folks were largely... Um, here legally, Mm -hmm. trying to make a better life for themselves. And I continued to see people making what I felt were inappropriate comments toward other humans um, that, you know, are are here in our community. Um, You know, pictures of people following others around grocery stores and taking pictures of them. And that's just not who our community is. And that's not who I want our community to be perceived as. And so I felt that it was appropriate to set the record straight, to be able to hopefully make folks recognize that, Um, our community is going to change. Now, I don't necessarily know if the current employee base that is is here right now is going to stay here for forever. I don't Mm -hmm. know what that looks like, Mm -hmm. but I do know that as a community, we need to be a place that people do feel that there's opportunity and that is a welcoming place and that just because you look different or sound different, 
that we don't immediately expect say that you're here illegally. It's interesting because really communities all over the country dealing with uh, similar uh, issues as the demographics of this country change. Definitely, you know, and, and, and I'm all for border security. I'm all for legal immigration. I think we need to solve those problems. I think we need to recognize that there are also people that are doing it properly and getting visas and coming here, fleeing countries. You know, Haiti is the key example. That's who mm-hmm. a lot of our folks are, where a lot of our folks are from. And they're fleeing the out of hand gun violence and mm-hmm. corrupt government and so many different things. And, you know, the majority, the majority of us, our families came to America for a brighter future. And right. I think that that's something that we need to be very cognizant of, that it looks different today, but that's something that we should be proud of, people seeking out in our community. You mentioned uh, city services and yeah. uh, big news this past week, the announcement that uh, city water rates uh, will be adjusted beginning the uh, first of the year. This is a pretty significant adjustment yeah. that... Yeah, so this is something that we've been looking at for a while and and kind of talking about with council, but really working through and obviously then making a proposal. Unfortunately, we're in a position where we can't really wait any longer to make this change. And so Mm -hmm. we have proposed um, our base rate on a five-eighths meter, which is like a family-sized kind of standard house, is going from right around $8 and I think 48 cents to $12.67 in those those ranges. Mm -hmm. And so... Obviously, it's just a couple of dollar adjustment, but because our rate is so low, it is a large percentage, and I understand that, you know, 50%. But when we are looking at it, obviously, the responsibility of the administration, and we are seeking the support of council because I think that it's important for them to say, yes, we recognize that this is something we need to do. Um, It is a responsibility of the administration, though, and as we look at it, um, the last couple of years, our expenses, because we haven't raised the rate since 2011, our expenses have been outpacing our revenue. Let me, let me uh, jump in here real quickly yeah. because that seemed to be the biggest thing that people latched onto in the uh, in the press release that that you meant that uh, you issued uh, your office issued last week. You uh, pointed out that expenses have increased thirteen percent since twenty twelve. 13% increase, but a 50% uh, increase in rate. And some people were like, that seems uh, yeah, so, disproportionate. So let's think about it like this. So 13% on multiple millions of dollars versus 50% on $8. Um, so our, it, it, it is a lar- it's a smaller uh, percentage, but a larger dollar amount. And so when we look at changing... Um, the rate to increase our revenue is projected that this change will give us an additional $4 million in revenue annually. But over the last couple of years, you know, over the last, since 2012, on the totality, a 12% increase across our expenses, Mm -hmm. you know, has been hundreds of thousands of dollars annually. Now our team has done really, really well of managing those expenses because we said, listen, during the pandemic, we can't be raising rates. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hoping that prices on some of our materials would come back down. We cut out six million dollars of it, capital improvements that we see that you know really are going to need to be done over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. We put a hundred a uh, million dollars, approximately, of American Rescue Plan Act dollars directly towards Waterfund. Um, you know, 
materials capital improvements. And so I recognize as a percentage, it seems like we're drastically increasing, but from a revenue to expense standpoint, Mm -hmm. the margin that we are getting through this is what's necessary to make sure we're continuing to invest in the water treatment plan appropriately. So to clarify, this uh, is how much of this is about meeting the uh, revenue needs now and versus... uh, uh, the forecast for X number of years ahead? Yeah. So primarily it's meeting the needs in the next three years. Okay. When we look at the revenue projections, <clears throat> we are hoping, okay, let's let's get us solvent. Let's get us in a better position now. Mm-hmm. Let's give us a little bit of buffer. Let's allow us to have some annual set aside for some of these larger projects. However, when we project out, I think in the next five years, that we're still going to, if our revenue or if our expenses increase 4% on average annually, um, which is not exactly what we have been seeing, but it's pretty standard across the industry, then we would pretty much be in the position where we would need to make a rate adjustment again. Now, it would not be the extent of rate mm-hmm. adjustment, but what we have said is we need to make this change. Then we can look at what are our other targets are there large projects that in the next 10, 15 years we want to do debt? Um, what what cash set aside do we want to have for significant improvement? Those are conversations we need to have, but we need to write the ship before we can have them. To that point, you also pointed out that there will be moving forward a formal rate review process annually. To, so does that mean potentially uh, more rate increases uh, maybe – not as dramatic, but more frequent. Yeah, so potentially. Now, we're hoping we can avoid that, you know, bringing in grants, um, bringing in revenue from other sources, trying to figure out uh, ways to manage that. Um, but unfortunately, we put ourselves in a pickle by not increasing it over the last 13 years. So we had to make a pretty significant change here. Um, and then we're hoping that we're able to manage through any Rate, rate increases in and, and real quickly how does this impact or is this impacted at all with the discussions of finley becoming something of a regional provider uh selling water to surrounding communities yeah so thanks for asking that question first of all i'd like to go on the record and state very clearly to the public the city of finley is not looking to sell our water treatment plant mm-hmm. that never has been a discussion under my administration i see the water treatment plant as a huge asset that we need to protect um, and continue to have control of to make sure that we do have um, high quality and low cost cost water. And though we are seeing a rate increase, um, we're still well below many of the other communities in the state of Ohio. Um, when we look at the opportunities potentially with, I'll use North Baltimore, they are the kind of the easiest one. It would truly be bulk water sales. So selling off our water um, that we don't need to be able to make revenue off of it. And yes, they would either be paying the outside rate or potentially even what I've been kind of calling a regional rate, which would mm-hmm. be slightly above that. Yeah. And so that definitely would help. It would it would help bring more revenue from that water into our community and help offset future increases. By the way, speaking of uh, which, uh, you mentioned the outside rate. The the table that was uh, published and we have on our website uh, reflected inside rates for residents of the city of Findlay. 
outside rates uh, going up the same? Or? Outside rates continue to be based off of the insides rate and okay. are 1.5 times the inside rate. Okay, so it would be the same yes. uh, increase for Correct. outside water rates uh, for those outside the city of Philly. Real quickly, I want to ask you about <laughs> this too. Uh, and again, we're going back to the election uh, on Tuesday. Voters approved uh, issue two, which was mm-hmm. the recreational marijuana uh, issue. And I know we had the conversation back when medical marijuana was approved and the question over whether dispensaries would uh, be located in Findlay. And you had ex- expressed uh, the opinion at that time that this is really not what the city of Findlay wanted to see. Now that this is expanding and to the recreational marijuana, is that still your mindset? And is there anything that you can really do to prevent that from ultimately happening sometime down the road? Yes, um, I, I would agree. I still don't believe that uh, recreation, especially recreational marijuana, is something that our community is interested. Um, I don't think it's in the best interest of our community to have uh, dispensaries here locally. And um, it was not approved in in Hancock County. It was voted correct, down. correct but statewide. It was approved. yeah. And and as I talk to you know, this is an issue where I see the medical benefits of it, um, but from a recreational standpoint, I'm not. I I don't agree. And so we've actually had a, many, a number of conversations with our local hospital, Adamus Port, et cetera, who, mm-hmm. who opposed it. Um, and so most likely through zoning regulations, we will update it. Currently, medical dispensaries are not permitted, and most likely recreational dispensaries will also need, not be permitted. But we're going to work through that. All right. Again, uh, Finley Mayor Christina Murd with us uh, this morning. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, Murd, thanks Good very much. Good to see much. you. So according to AARP, more than one in five adults have no retirement savings and nearly two out of three are worried that they will not have enough money to last into their later years. Those numbers mirror a number of other similar surveys. So with that in mind, AARP and the Ad Council have launched a new initiative called This is Pretirement for those who see themselves in those statistics. Mary Liz Burns is Senior Director of Communication Strategy at AARP. Tell us about this uh, new campaign. How do you define pre-tirement? What is this? Thanks for having me. So retirement is that time in your life when you're thinking about what retirement could look like, but you're a little worried and anxious because maybe you haven't been able to prepare as much as you would like to, and you want to handle retirement with confidence. It's that fear, that anxiety that these new ads have actually been developed along with a website. And in those ads, we give some small tips, some small steps people can take to really get their retirement planning journey on track. These tips are available at thisispretirement.org, where you can take a quiz, kind of find out where you stand and get some action items, or you can build your own plan. And at the end of it, you get a customized, personalized action plan for your retirement savings that gets you started. Well, that was actually what I was going to ask, because I think uh, just about everyone has that fear that they haven't saved enough. Now, obviously, the one in five that have no retirement savings clearly haven't saved enough. But I would imagine that there's some anxiety even among those who actually are in pretty good shape. So how do you know uh, whether you're on track? You said you actually uh, have a tool that can help you find that out. 
think when you're actually at thisispretirement.org, you can look and see for some of the goal setting opportunities there to see like how much do you think you may need or at least what are the things you need to consider. Mm -hmm. And of course, retirement is much bigger than just only your money. You're talking about health care. You're talking about Social Security. You're talking about like if you're married or not. Like there's a lot of different kinds of decisions that go into it, especially debt and budgeting. So we encourage folks to check it out. There's a lot of ways that you can tackle what it looks like for retirement, and it gives you some great ideas to go forward. So speaking specifically to those who have not started planning for retirement, what are some of the first steps that those individuals can take? The first step is to not feel any shame about it because it's really hard to try to save when you're caring for parents, taking care of kids, mm-hmm. trying to pay for all these you know higher expenses. But the first thing you can do is check out to see if you have a workplace retirement savings plan. If you're if you do and you're not contributing, just contribute. Even one or two percent of your income will make a huge difference. Those dollars are typically matched and they grow tax free. Secondly, you can make sure and look at your budget we talked about. Like what's going in and what's going out? Maybe there's ways to reduce some of those expenses. We have great tips on how to reduce those daily expenses on this website and also figure out which debt is really holding you back. Maybe you got to focus on credit cards or something else that's really Mm. keeping you from saving enough. Yeah, Uh, which... Those are are great tips really for anyone at any age. What about for those who are really getting close now? We're say five years out or even three years out. Is it too late at that point? We never say it's too late to save for retirement, but we do know if you're really close to retirement, there's a couple things you can look at. One is if you are saving in that workplace savings plan, there's something called a catch-up contribution, meaning that you can contribute more than other people under the age of 50. So if you can, take advantage of those tax savings for yourself. And then secondly, you got to minimize those expenses and those debt. I mean, what debt do you want to take in with you to retirement if it's you got student loans or credit card debt? You want to make sure you're trying to reduce those. And then for some people who can work longer, you know, there are opportunities on AARP. We have a job board. There's opportunities to check it out. But not everybody wants to or can work longer, which is why we want to make sure people are saving even a little bit as early as possible. You know, I it, it strikes me, you know, in in and we've all seen, you know, the advertisements, maybe in magazines or on television or whatever it might happen to be, uh, about uh, investments that will uh, help protect your retirement, uh, especially if you're getting uh, really close to. I, I guess the the point that I want to make is we got to be careful as to how aggressive we are or what we are looking at in order to catch up. Uh, because if we panic, we might end up making some bad financial decisions. When you panic and you feel like you don't have enough, sometimes you're not making the best decisions because you know what? Money is emotional. Right. A lot of times, like you're taught, you know, you're basically so worried that you're going to do something that might be a get rich quick, you know, mm-hmm. type of scheme. Right. What we would say, in, what we would say to ARP is that there'll be a lot of products that may be offered to folks, especially as they get closer to retirement. Make sure that you consult a financial professional, a fiduciary who has your best interest 
interests at heart. Know what your budget is and that what are your fixed expenses are in retirement. Make sure you've got the money to cover that. Then you can think about where other things may fit in. Social Security is another key piece of your retirement income, but do not jump at what the current most current thing is that promises you some sort of major returns. That's yeah. not the way it works. Put yourself in a check about your emotions when it comes to money. Yeah. And then uh, just to underscore what you were saying a little bit earlier, it's not just about how much money you have in the bank. It's how much, how much debt you have, how many things that are taking money out of the bank at the same time. And again, uh, this campaign not only helps on the savings side, it helps with strategies for paying off some of that debt creating a budget, uh, getting control of your money on that end as well, right? Yes. I mean, this campaign is not only about that retirement savings. It, the, you know, the debt is really hard for folks. People over the age of 50, we, our recent survey said that 60% of them are carrying monthly balances on their credit cards. Yeah. And they're not small balances. So we know that that kind of credit card debt, that unsecured debt, things that really eat at us, just take a big bite out of the savings we're able to give. And some people actually take out 401k loans to pay off some of these things. So Ouch. really think about those opportunities to continue to have your savings in a safe place, continuing to grow, and think about other strategies to reduce that debt. We have several tips and several strategies on the website for free that help you think about how to manage that debt. This is Pretirement, a new initiative from AARP and the Ad Council. Again, Mary Liz Burns is Senior Director of Communication Strategy at AARP, and uh, that's the website. It's really simple, right? Yes, really simple. This is Pretirement.org. You get a free action plan, and it's a great way to get started. Mary Liz, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. How about this story to lead off to the uh, today's broken news? We are coming up on the holiday travel season. A lot of folks are going to be flying for uh, Thanksgiving or uh, the Christmas season ahead. Man, how would you like to have this happen on your flight? Uh, several passengers breathing a sigh of relief that their plane made it safely back to London after a startling discovery was discovered midair. According to a report, and this was uh, on Friday, investigators with the Air Accidents Investigation Branch in the UK say an Airbus A320, which is like a 737 if you were to fly Southwest or you know some of the discount airlines, is primarily what they uh, fly, 737s and the uh, Airbus A320. So it's kind of a uh, uh, narrow-body aircraft. It took off uh, from the British capital Stansted Airport in London, headed for Orlando, Florida. Mid-air, apparently they found that they were having trouble pressurizing the cabin. They figured out what the problem was, that the plane had several, several, it says here, damaged and missing windows. Windows missing from the plane. Uh, They were at 14,500 feet before the damage was discovered somehow. (laughs) Did nobody nobody notice that there were some windows that were missing? I mean, if I get on board a plane and I see that the window is not there, um, 
I'm calling somebody's attention to that. You know, I'm flagging over a flight attendant saying, uh, this is not right. <laughs> you should not be able to roll down the windows of a plane. 14,000 feet, that's not good. Uh, the uh, plane, thankfully, was able to make a U-turn and uh, land safely back in London after the damage was discovered. But how <laughs> inspectors miss that, I have no idea. That's a little scary. <clears throat> if you've ever seen what happens at altitude when their you know, window blows out, you know that that's not a good thing. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I want to implement more rigorous inspections on those planes. Um, in Orange County, California, the uh, county jail is making changes to its protocols <laughs> after a visitor was locked, locked up overnight, not in a jail cell, but in the lobby of the jail. Woman went to visit an inmate just before visiting hours were about to end over the weekend. Officials say the inmate was unavailable at the time, and the woman ended up falling asleep in the lobby and getting locked in overnight. <laughs> Again, wouldn't you think that somebody would check the lobby before they locked the doors? But apparently not. A spokesperson with the Orange County Sheriff's Department says visitors will now have access to an emergency phone in the public visiting area, and a supervisor will do a check of the lobby before locking up. <laughs> and during the course of the overnight hours, because the jail itself is staffed overnight. So that'll be on somebody's rounds to go and just check the lobby. <laughs> that's that's a good idea. It's one thing to be locked up in jail. It's another thing to be locked up in the lobby of the jail. Or not. That's not good. In other uh, odd and unusual uh, stories, this is all kinds of weird. Two men have been charged with digging up a woman from the St. Louis Washington Park Cemetery earlier this summer. Zebulon Nash of Houston reportedly told police... What a name. I mean, for somebody who was with a name like Zebulon Nash, you know, to be caught digging up a grave. That's just like... If I was writing a novel where somebody dug up a grave, that would be the name that I would give to the, uh, it wasn't looking to rob the, uh, it was not a grave robber. He, uh, Zebulon told police that he was digging up his grandmother's remains with the help of another man with the goal of relocating her remains. The cemetery apparently has a reputation of neglecting the grounds. And so he wasn't comfortable with his grandmother being there, buried there. He wanted to move her. Uh, the cemetery uh, said, hey, he owns the plot. He can do whatever he wants with it. They were very cavalier about it. But Missouri law requires a state order to exhume a body. Both men have been charged with attempting to destroy or deface cemetery property. So can't just dig grandma up and move her. It doesn't work that way. Although, again, I'd be a little concerned with the seminary, cemetery's cavalier attitude toward it, toward the whole thing. Hey, he owns it. He can do whatever he wants. That is, uh, doesn't speak too highly of the cemetery itself. Uh, this from Indiana. 
item here. A jewelry thief led police on a high-stakes chase, but it was his audacity that's the kicker here. Apparently, the thief tried to wave the cops off, claiming, you're not supposed to pursue me. (laughs) Well, yes, yes, they are supposed to pursue you. The escape went down on uh, Saturday evening when the suspect, having pocketed an undisclosed treasure trove of jewels, took off and a police pursuit ensued. The suspect reportedly extended a hand out of the window, theatrically gesturing to the pursuing officers. Uh, When questioned about this impromptu roadside performance, he declared, I was trying to tell you you're not supposed to chase me. The elusive jewel thief, identified as one David Juarez, uh, age 34, was taken into custody. He faces an array of charges, including felony theft, criminal mischief, resisting law enforcement, and uh, several misdemeanors. Just waving out the window. You're not supposed to pursue me. You're not supposed to be chasing me. Back off, man. (laughs) Not a big surprise. It didn't work. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, gotta love the irony here. A uh, police officer in Washington, D.C. got a call from his girlfriend who had been pulled over on suspicion of driving under the influence. Uh, This was in the wee hours of the morning on Saturday. Uh, So Officer John Bewley gets a call from his girlfriend saying, hey, can you come help me out? I've been pulled over for DUI. So he dutifully uh, got in his car and made his way to where his girlfriend had been stopped. He arrived as officers were conducting a field sobriety test on her, and he attempted to intervene, but officers noticed that uh, Mr. Bully himself uh smelled of alcohol (laughs) you know what's gonna happen next right they gave him a field sobriety test and arrested him for driving while impaired as well an off-duty cop (laughs) in his defense you know when your girlfriend calls and says hey come and, and get me here i'm in trouble you know you really can't say no but if you are impaired yourself That's a bad idea. (laughs) Turned out he was drunk as well. There there you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music. But it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. 
And now a real quick daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas right around the corner. How many times do you celebrate those holidays? How many celebrations do you have? Interesting uh, new poll of 2,000 U.S. adults finds that the average American celebrates each of those holidays twice. They have two of those gatherings uh, for Thanksgiving, Christmas, two apiece is the uh, average. 84% this year plan to travel at least some holidays, and 60% plan to take a pet along. So as you are preparing for your holiday gatherings of uh, friends and family, expect a pet, because it is more likely than not that your guests are coming with a pet in tow. Lauren Berner Kitzler is with us in the studio this morning now from the Hancock County OSU Extension Office. And uh, 4-H wrapping up the year. The big uh, event to cap off the year is the Volunteer Recognition Banquet, right? That is correct. Yes. Good Just morning, listeners. had that, uh, what, last, was it last week? Or last Wednesday. Last, last Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Yep. So we, um, like like you just said, we end our year with a big conjunction banquet between our fair board, mm-hmm. as well as putting together all of our 4-H volunteers and having a big, nice program over a nice catered meal. So yes, that happened last Wednesday. We recognized over 150 4-H volunteers. Well, that was, and, yeah, I was going to ask how many uh, volunteers, because you couldn't do 4 4-H, and, and we've talked how many times about the strength of the 4-H program in Hancock County would not be possible without those uh, oh, dedicated oh, volunteers. Definitely not. Definitely not. It takes all hands on deck, and I am very thankful and grateful for all of my volunteers. We have just a little over 150 total 4-H volunteers and advisors with us in our program ending 2023. And hopefully, fingers crossed, they all stay and come back in 2024 yeah. and hopefully gaining more as well. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But first, let's uh, recognize those who deserve recognition. Yes. So I would just want to kind of give out a couple shout outs for our years of service. We have anywhere from five years to 45 years to 76 years. So starting off with five years, um, a big shout out to Derek Batwell, Dina Brown, Taylor Dickman, and Avery Holland. Uh, we'll go up to 20 years. We have Roseanne Campbell, Missy Groves, John Livingston, Mandy Lobdell, Wendy Morey, Lori Russell, Kim Welch, and Lori Whitmer. 45 years, we have Jackie Johnson. 76 years, we have Imelda Ream, who is our, one of our one of three of our oldest 4-H volunteers and wow. advisors still with us today in the club that she started um, oh, that is years cool. Ago. Yes, that so Lucky cool. Star. So special shout out to them as well. Talk about a legacy. Yes. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, 76 years. 76 years. Herself, uh, Evelyn Graham, and then Joanne Beery are my three oldest, but, you know, most wisest, uh, most knowledgeable when it comes with the 4-H program. There you so. go. Uh, that is uh, that is uh, terrific and really speaks to uh, the fact that the 4-H program is, is worthwhile and the, the fact that so many people come back year after year. I mean... You know, obviously, seventy-six years—that's that's pretty incredible. But the list of twenty-year volunteers and more uh, is quite lengthy. Yes, uh, it is. Like I said, I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful for these volunteers that continue to do this day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know they do have special jobs or other jobs mm-hmm. on the side, right? But to give back and donate and to help these members grow as young individuals, it's it's a special it's a special program. Yeah, so. and, and as we mentioned, you are uh, now going to start to turn attention to. Uh, 
preparing for the coming year and you need folks to step up and help make that happen. Yep. Yep. Which kind of segues into we get also give away three special awards um, in conjunction with kind of starting out the new 4-H year. Um, those awards consist of an outstanding service to 4-H alumni. So those that award is for those advisors and volunteers that were active here in Finley Hancock County um, with that award. And this year that award went out to April Holland. Um, she has 33 years of service with us in the 4-H program. We also give out another award called Outstanding Service to non-4-H alumni, which are volunteers and advisors in our program who may not necessarily have a 4-H background, but have been w- very willing to give back and dedicate their time. Um, this year, that award went to Dale and Peggy Houston. And then our big final award, the, the big shebang of what we call it, is the Hancock County 4-H Hall of Fame Award. And these members, volunteers, group of individuals, is someone who's kind of went above and beyond um, supporting, recognizing, always being there. And this year that went to Dave and Linda Seifert. So big thank you and congratulations, congratulations to all of Congratulations all the way around. That's an interesting uh, thing too. You mentioned uh, those who volunteer don't themselves necessarily have a 4-H background. So I guess that's worth mentioning that you don't have to necessarily have a 4-H background in order to volunteer with the 4-H program today. Right. Yep. Nope. We are open to take anyone and everyone. Um, We don't want to turn anybody away. But if you have a a niche or some type of calling or specialization that you like, we're here to help find a perfect fit for you. And there are so many different programs within 4-H now that uh, there's a good likelihood that something that you bring to the table will tie in very nicely with the 4-H program. Oh my god, yes. You know, we just added a new project called Last Year Ready, Set, Mow. So if you are an expert in mowing yards out there <laughs> and would like to kind of help mentor our 4-H members along with that project, we are we are always looking for it. But no, um, we have such, so many projects, so many varieties from not just your livestock, but your non-livestock that mm-hmm. members are always looking to help help and, and kind of guide and mentor through yeah. those programs. So how do folks learn more? Like we said, uh, you really start to... Uh, get into that uh, volunteer recruitment and such uh, after the uh, holiday season. But start people thinking about that right now. What are you looking for? What is the process? So, yep, we are ready for the new 4-H year, surprisingly. Believe it or not, we're right before the holidays. But um, 4-H enrollment is open and ready for members to sign up. We are also looking and taking volunteers. So if you have someone uh, or know someone that is of interest being a volunteer within our 4-H program, uh, contact our office. All of our information can also be found on our website. But um, we kind of lay low a little bit of like kind of a soft launch, I want to call it, mm-hmm. before the holidays because everybody's thinking of a million other things right, right. now. But come sure. January, we are ready to push it out real hard and looking for not only 4-H members but volunteers as well. Um, when you contact us, we will find a good connection and a good club in which you find fit. Or there's some that say, hey, I don't necessarily want to be associated with a club exactly, but I still want to give back in some way, shape, or form. So mm-hmm. I'm always looking for maybe judges for a project book or judges for livestock. So there's something for everybody. All right. Uh, and you will have more information to come on this, but if folks uh, have some interest and have some questions uh, reach out they, definitely yeah. reach out to us we are open and available I have an open door policy in my office so I have a great office staff that also works um, alongside of me so yes we are here and ready to answer any questions if needed and then as you mentioned uh, really start uh, this push right after the uh, first of the year but then when do the 
when do the clubs start meeting and when does the the year get underway for so at the end of january we have all our bars called advisor volunteer kickoff that is where all of our advisors all of our adults Mm -hmm. go through a special training um that is needed provided by the ohio state university um and then really after that kickoff at the end of january clubs are ready to start convening um, meeting and convening together um, to start the 4-H year. Uh, the deadline for enrollment is April 1. Okay. So we always try and make sure all of our members are enrolled within a project that they like and enjoy by the April 1 deadline. Okay, so kind uh, of give you some ideas on the uh, coming dates and it, it serves to uh, remind us that Again, when we see the projects at the fair, this is more than just a one-week thing or a one-month yep. thing. This is a year-long. It's, it's long. the beginning yeah. of, a, of a year project. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Again, uh, Lauren Berner-Kitzler with us uh, from the uh, Hancock County uh, 4-H program, OSU Extension uh, Educator. We've got a link up for more information at our webpage. And congratulations to all of the uh, volunteer award recipients uh, as well. Uh, good work all the way around, so kudos. Lauren, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Have a great day. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Oh, 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 oh,